You're going to have to believe who you are before you see the fruit of who you are. So many, and, and that's what faith is. The evidence of things, hopefully, the substance of things not seen. But so many live their lives based solely on external results instead of an internal reality. So many live their lives based solely on external results instead of an internal reality. The external will and should manifest, but not fully until we mature in our internal identity. So the heir differs nothing than, than a slave, though he be lord of all or master of all. So we won't have the fruit of who we are. The heir will not operate as master over all in his immaturity. So there has to be moved into a place of maturity. So he won't have the fruit of who he is until he first comes to a place of maturity to grow into who he is. And how does he grow into who he is? Through the place of the revelation of righteousness to see, even though I don't have it yet in my hands, I own it all. Even though I have no external fruit, this is still who I am. And until he believe, begins to believe, and this is, what, this is what Paul is telling us right here in Galatians 4 and Romans 4. He's literally helping us see that you have to believe who you are first before the fruit of who you are is seen. But many times we don't live like that. So we've talked a lot here about, and I like this tonight. I like this, this kind of this teaching session. I like this. The Thanksgiving, we, 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 we've talked a lot about that here, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, honor, order, devotion. Fundamentally, that's our foundation. Even thanksgiving, though, being thankful to God. Thanksgiving, it's, it's right. You should live in a place of thanksgiving. If you're not living in a place of thanksgiving, you're not living in a place of where you should be. Okay? Thanksgiving is right, but even thanksgiving is a response to someone's actions or efforts. Right? Thanksgiving is a response to someone's action efforts. We should be living in thanksgiving for all that God's given us. Yes. But honor is the realization of the value of an individual. And most of our worship to God is motivated solely on thanksgiving to God for what he has done circumstantially for us. Again, that's right. We should be thankful for what God has done for us and is doing for us and all that for saving us, dying for us, blessing our lives, all that. Yes, that's a place of thanksgiving we should live in. But most of our worship is solely, solely, solely motivated based on only thanksgiving and no honor. Because what honor is, honor is a valuation of an individual's identity. Honor is not just thanking somebody for what they did. Honor is, is being in a place of Valuing who they are. Even the Greeks' understanding of honor 
is very different, very different than ours. In, in biblical Greeks and even the Hebrew, their understanding of honor is not a lot of times what our understanding of honor is. Our understanding of honor is, is a lot like Thanksgiving. Which is right. Thanksgiving is right. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me here. Thanksgiving is right. But even Thanksgiving is solely based on external circumstances. And when we say we honor God, a lot of times what we're saying is we're responding in Thanksgiving to what he's done. Which is right. But we have to move past that. Because the Hebrew word for honor and order is glory. The Hebrew word for honor is glory. So to get to God's glory, to receive that, to live in that, there has to be a place of honor. Okay? So, and I don't want to go, go, go too far in that, but many of us, uh, we live solely based on external, external proof. Okay? I want us to stay with this. But there is a place of immaturity initially where you don't have external proof. But the Bible tells us complete wholeness is supposed to come to us there, not when we hold the promise, but when we receive the prophecy. And what we've got to do is break out of this thing of externally, we have to have everything externally line up to witness. No, 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 no. You need to believe who you are first. And then you can hold what you're intended to hold. Because if there's not the internal infrastructure, what you are intended to hold will actually crush you. Yes. You'll get it mixed up with your identity. You'll, like we've talked about before, you'll think what you do is who you are, which is a horrible place to be. And Paul's telling us here, no, 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 no. The heir differeth nothing of a servant, though he be master of all. He has to come to a place of maturity and the path to maturity, what happens in that place, to what, where you cross over from immaturity into maturity is, is through the revelation of righteousness. Where you see that even, even, even as you're sitting with the slaves, you're, you are as you ought to be. Even though you have no external proof of it, you know you, at, you are as you ought to be inside. And not basing it on external circumstances. And that, that's a lot of times how we approach God, our response to God, how we live our Christian lives inside of our culture, everything. Everything. I am for thanksgiving to God, yes. But there is a place of maturity where you grow into, where you don't just thank Him for what He does, you thank Him for who He is. Which is a whole nother place. Yes. I'll be honest. We're not going to talk long about it. We're not going to talk much about it afterwards. There's a place of maturity that 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 that, that we have to get to where we And in our walk with the Lord, how we view ourselves and how we view God. That is not solely subject on external circumstances. I am all for 
Being surrounded by the goodness of God. Yes, it should produce fruit. It is producing fruit in my life. I thank God for, I try to stay and live in a place of thanksgiving for all that he has done circumstantially around me. I thank him for that. But just like we're not identified based on what we do, he's not either. But many times we base, our, we identify God in our viewpoint, based upon what he does or doesn't do, or what we think he does or what we think he doesn't do, what we think he, he did and what we think what he didn't do, what, what we think he allowed happen or and, and what we think he, he didn't allow to happen. And, and it's proof, that, and we project that image on, onto God because that's how we view ourselves as well. See, I'm all for, I mean, the Bible says, you know, the, these signs will follow, then that belief. Yes. But the signs are behind them. If the signs are following then that belief, then evidently then that belief aren't waiting for the signs. They're walking in a place of righteousness, understanding they, they know they are as they ought to be, and they don't need the external proof of it. They're, they're just going to keep walking, and what's going to happen to manifest behind them is the signs and wonders. These signs will follow them. That doesn't say the signs will precede them that believe. doesn't say the signs will accompany them that believe. The signs will follow, which means they're behind them. And if that's all we're looking for, then that means we're going to be going backwards. And which is why you have people that just worship past revivals. I thank God for the past revivals, but there's more ahead. Yes. And if we don't learn who we are and begin to walk that way, we'll, we'll never get there. I'm in a place in my life right now, and I'm, I'm just looking for a sign. I'm just like, stop freaking looking for a sign. Well, what, what sign are you going to look for? Because I know they're, they're, I have a witness in Scripture of a group of people, an entire nation that was looking for the signs, that was looking for a sign that the, the Messiah would come, and literally he came and did wonders and signs among them, and they still didn't believe. Because it, So if, if you get the sign you're wanting, you're going to want another one after that, because it will never be enough externally, because it's not enough internally. You'll never be in a place of security and comfort internally because you're trying to reach for it externally. And it does not exist there. And sometimes you, you, you've got to, in the midst of things not going externally like you want them to, to say internally, I know this is true. I have no proof for it right now. Or maybe what has just happened was what has been horrible, whatever, and it should not have happened, and I know that was wrong, and all this, but but and something has happened in my life, and all this stuff, and I, and externally, I don't see goodness in it or anything, and and I prayed, and it didn't happen, and I can't change it, but you can allow that to affect who you know you are. And if you live solely based on external circumstances, you will live in a complete whirlwind of spinning of chaos and emotions. There'll be, there'll be nothing of establishment in you. There'll be nothing of where, where of substance. There'll be no maturity. You'll, you'll never be who you actually are at that point. You'll never see the manifestation of who you actually are by living that way. I'm not going to talk much about it, but obviously... We, we, we lost the baby. And I prayed. 
I prayed. I and what what really sucks is I have physically seen God raise the dead. Not on TV, not just read in the Bible. Doctor verified. I've laid my hand on dead bodies and seen them raised and be doctor verified by two hospitals. One of them, CMC Maine. Just a few months ago, just a few months ago, I was in a meeting, a different meeting, not here at Cane Land, a different meeting. And I was just jumping on them, helping lead some of some doctor call and everything. And an individual came up and they had just had a miscarriage. His wife had just had a miscarriage. And he came up to me and she, he said, my wife's distraught. She, she, he's had a miscarriage and I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to be here. And I, and I said, neither do I. I don't, I don't like that. And I, and I saw as I, as I prayed for the guy and then fall out the whole night and pray for everything. And then the next week as, as the doctor's appointment was made and everything to, to set up everything for the miscarriage, life came back into the child before then. That was just a few months ago. See, my problem is I've, I've seen too much. See, this is the real raw stuff. And we prayed. Preacher Timothy drove down to Virginia. No hypey, no, 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 none of that hypey mess. We sat here, laid hands on Lily and prayed. I prayed like I've never prayed and not seen a real big miracle. Went to the appointment. Ellie showed her tail in there and I even walked in there because we said, no, we want, we want an ultrasound now. Because I'm believing that heart's going to beat again. I'm not just preaching this because it sounds good. I'm in this with y'all. And it wasn't. We came home. In the middle of the day, I had, I had to go to a job site. I have a business to run. Since we are, I'll be back in a little bit. And I left. I said, and I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm just going to be honest with y'all. I said, Jesus, you've never let me down before, but you let me down on this one. It feels in this moment like you've let me down on this one. And I was driving and the anger, the emotions, all, all that came up, but I know I, I, could, I couldn't blame God. I wanted to. I know I couldn't. And, I, and as I sat there and I, and I knew from the Lord, this one, this one was different. I'm just going to be honest with you. This one was different. Not that the other ones didn't hurt. This one was, this one was different. This one, this one knocked the air out of us and still has. And I know this one was not from God. And to be honest, that's what pisses me off even more. This one was different. And I sat there and I called Ellie. I said, after I leave this job site, I'm coming home. And I know you don't want to, but what we will do is we're going to blare worship music and we're going to sit in the floor and we're going to worship Jesus. Not because circumstantially things worked out like we wanted them to. Not because I'm believing things are going to be turned around because they're not going to be. This is what has happened and it sucks. In the midst of the pain, the hurt, the confusion, the anger, all of it, all of it. I can't worship God for this circumstance. I told her, I can't. I don't see his goodness in it. I cannot thank him or honor him or worship him in this circumstance. But I can for who he is.
So what we're going to do, apart from feelings, we're going to we're going to quit the crap of allowing feelings to constantly move us, and we're going to sit in the floor and we're going to worship Jesus because I'm not going to allow the enemy to be able to dictate my moves any longer. I'm not going to allow hell to decide what what I do and don't do. So we did. You know what we did? We got up after, and it still hurt. You are as you ought to be. No matter what the hell is going on around you, who God says you are is who you are. And it's time we freaking believe this, because there, there's enough around us that says we're not. But if He says we are, the Bible will say, if God be for us, who can be against us? And it's time we quit messing around with this stuff. I'll be honest. I don't want to talk about this. There was nothing in my feelings that felt good. I didn't feel like I wanted to go to Alabama either, to be honest. I didn't feel at all. My feelings said no. But I knew from the Lord it was a yes that he had told me before weeks ago that I had that I needed to go and was very stern when he said it. Ellie had a witness that she didn't want me to go either in her feelings, but she knew I needed to. And I'll be honest, I I told him he, he, he got his good on this one. I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. Not, not there, I guess. This might be a little too much for some of y'all. Because it's too real. Because I'm not just preaching to you about stuff that's far and distant and abstract and up in the sky and everything. No, we're doing this. Come hell or high water, we're doing this because this is who we are. We're doing this and we're going to do this. And if you don't want to do this and go down this path, then you need to leave. I'm going to be quite honest, especially when I found out from the Lord that this one was not from him. I said, Lord, you shouldn't have told me that because now I am pissed. And I encountered the spirit of death. The death is an actual spirit. And I encountered him in full reality. Y'all believe whatever the hell you want to believe. I encountered the spirit of death in full reality. And I had never and I had never I had never reached out and grabbed the spirit until that day. I didn't know if I could, you can. And I grabbed him by the neck and I jerked him to me. And I'll be honest, I cussed him. I cussed him. I'm not talking figuratively. I'm talking grab the spirit of death for him, could smell him. And I, Martin Luther said he didn't believe in any of the work language, and I fully agree with him. I cussed him. I cuss. I use configurations of cuss words that I have not used since I've been saved. 
I thought I forgot about. And I told him, and more real than me looking at y'all right now, I said, you effed with the wrong one. He, sh he should have left me alone. He should have just left me alone in my living room with a handful. I just told him, you effed with the wrong one. You should have left me alone. Because I don't play, I don't do well on that. Because I get pissed off and we're come hell or high water at that point. I don't care what the cost, we're going for it. And for the first time, and I've only encountered the spirit of death a handful of times. For the first time in my entire life. I saw the spirit of death scared. Lean back and his eyes got big and his mouth dropped. Kind of hit somewhat of a mouth. Why? Because we're heirs. Because we're heirs. We're heirs. And your heirs. We're heirs. Doesn't matter. We're heirs. And heirs receive an inheritance. And payday's coming. This is real. It's a real big deal for you to find out who you are and to believe who you are. It's a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Quit messing around and us begin to freaking believe who we are. Quit living life solely based on external circumstances. And if we had a good day at work, then our life's great. If we didn't have a good day at work, my God, I'm forsaken and on my way to hell. We got to get over this crap. Grow up. Make your decision on what you're going to believe. And then come hell or high water, because both will come. Because if the enemy can shake you on who you say you believe you are, then he's won. He can't change who you are. But if he can talk you out of believing who you are, then he keeps you from your inheritance. He can't steal it from you. He can't take anything that we don't give to him. Time we quit messing around. And I'll be honest. I've come too far and I've given up too much. And so have y'all. I'll be honest, it, it knocked the breath out of us, this one did, and it still has. And then there was a part of me that thought, that's all you got? As much as it hurts, I'm still, I'm still here. And that's all you got? You're going to show your teeth, and it's going to knock the air out of me and cripple me, but it didn't take me out. I'm still here. And even the crap that's happened to some of y'all in your life, 
and the trials that y'all have walked to and the straight crap that you have walked to and through on the heels of amazing revelation, amazing encounters with God, amazing beginning to find out who you are. And then it's like all hell breaks loose. But guess what? You're still here. So let's quit licking our wounds and get on with it because they, he couldn't take us out. Why? Because of who we are. The heir differeth nothing than a slave, though he be Lord of all. Don't think the enemy doesn't know you're Lord of all. He just don't want you to know that. Maturity will move you beyond your relationship with God being solely based on external results coming to pass the way you think they should. And when you live based solely on external results, you are still in immaturity. And there are going to be some things that we are designed to see and intended to inherit that we won't. Not because God doesn't want to give them to us, but like I said, they will crush us if we don't have the internal infrastructure of identity set. Because we are still looking for external efforts to justify our internal identity. When the Bible tells us that all internal identificational justification Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf and granted us access by way of his righteousness. See, if somebody left you a, a, a substantial amount of money as an inheritance, a substantial amount of money, it would do you no good until you access it. If somebody left you a million dollars and it's in the bank waiting on you, until a withdrawal is made, it does you no good. You are a millionaire, but you haven't received it yet. It's waiting for you, but you haven't received it yet. It's right there for you. And all you got to do, even in the natural, if you think about it, all you got to do is take your credentials, which is your proof of identity, to the place that has it, and they're immediately released to you. And in a lot of ways, it's that simple in the kingdom. You just got to take your credentials of your identification and to be able to begin to make some withdrawals on your inheritance. Not wanting to try to get that to prove who you are. But what we do a lot of times, we want to add to our credentials. We want to self-identify ourselves based upon self-works. So we'll bring... Let's, let's just let's just for the for the for the sake of discussion, let's say you know it, the bank's called the kingdom, okay, and we want to come make a withdrawal on our inheritance, and instead of using the card as son or daughter that God gives us, we want to bring you know, pastor, 
We want to bring worship leader. We want to bring good wife. We want to bring good mother. We, we, we want to bring, you know, perfect Sunday school attendance. We, we, we want to bring, you know, I fasted for, for, for you know, three times this month. And we, we want to bring all these other things to put ahead of our identification. And it doesn't grant access because Paul tells us plainly, it's not our works. Righteousness is not based on our works. And if that's who you want to be, if that's who, if, if that's what you want to draw off of, if that's what you want to use as your accessibility, then there's going to be some things that are not accessible to you and I. Because to be as you ought to be is to be in Jesus. And Jesus has access to things that anybody outside of him cannot even dream of. So then we being inside of Jesus as we ought to be means we have the same access to everything that Jesus had. That's why the Bible would call us joint heirs. So the righteousness we are giving is not ours. It's Jesus's. It's not how identity works. See, Isaiah puts forth, he's with his grandparents tonight. They're moving to the beach. They want to see him, so... Isaiah puts forth zero effort to be my son. He does not effort at all to try to be my child. He simply is my, he, he's my son simply based on his existence. He can't do anything to earn my love. There's nothing he can do that will make me love him more or love him less. Even when he gets on my nerves, I still love him. And even even then, there's nothing I can do or he can do that can change the fact that he is my son. He doesn't feel any reservation when he comes up to me. He knows he can crawl all over me. He doesn't ask first. He doesn't have to beg me to come spend time with him. He doesn't have to fear, am I in a bad mood? And if I'm in a bad mood, what kind of hell am I going to put him through? He doesn't fear that if he drops his food on the floor, that I'm going to be mad at him for the next three to four days. But that's how we view God as our Father. You can't believe that you are as you ought to be, which is the revelation of righteousness, until you believe God is as He ought to be. You can't believe you are who you are without first seeing He is who He is. When you got born again, you received forgiveness of all sins and were recreated into the righteousness of God. You now are the embodiment of God's righteousness because you've been placed in Jesus. Again, righteousness is not just behavior, but being. The heir, though he is master of all, is not much different than the slave in his immaturity. He is operating like a slave, but that's not who he is. He is on the path of discovery through maturity 
He is being raised and taught into the outward expression of the inward reality of his identity. Immaturity is not bad. Mike Bickle made a statement years ago. He said, immature sincerity is not hypocrisy. To be sincere, even if it's in immature form, to be sincere, it's not hypocrisy. Let me say, if again, if you're saved here, we're almost done. If you're here born again, which I believe mostly everybody is in here. If, if you're born again, you are as you ought to be right now. Right now. You are as righteous as God. You are as loved as Jesus is loved by the Father. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't even screw it up. It's settled. And you can, you can behave outside of who you are. But that's why it doesn't sit right with you. Because even if you wanted to, it still goes against your identity. You are fully righteous. And you, I'm going to say, wherever you're at in your life is right where you're supposed to be. You may not want to be where you're at. Whatever it is, home, job, life, work, whatever, where, where you're, you may be struggling in your, in, in your marriage a little bit. You may be with, with, your, with your kids and things. There may be some, some stuff's going on, some family stuff, some parents stuff going on. Whatever, whatever's going on, you are, rest in the fact that you are right where you're supposed to be. Because you are who you're supposed to be. You're right where you're supposed to be. You haven't missed it. You haven't missed God because he's right there with you. It's not that he, he, he's turned his back on you and he's left you. It's not that he gave up on you. You're right where you are supposed to be in your life and right now. Because even if it's immature, that's okay. That's okay. When you begin to get untethered from time, you're okay with immaturity. You're okay with process. I love, I look forward to when Isaiah gets older, to be able to do stuff with him, that, that, to be able to take him fishing, to be able to, to do stuff that, that, that he can't do right now. I look forward. I look forward. I look forward to getting him in his own bed so he doesn't sleep sideways and kick me in the head. I look, I, I so, so look forward to that. When we can get that child in his own bed, I so look forward to that. But I love being able to snuggle next to him. As much as I, I can't wait to be able to get him in his own bed, and how at times annoying it is in the middle of sleep, he'll slap, he'll just, because he, he has to sleep in the middle, he'll just reach out and slap, or he'll turn sideways and start kicking or dick his toes into your back. As much as that aggravates me, I love being able to snuggle next to him. As much as I can't wait to take him to do things when he's older, 
I love watching him trying to walk and take a few steps and fall in my living room. I don't want to speed up his maturity at all. I'm not trying to hurry up to get him to be a full mature adult. I'm enjoying as he is now. But we think that God's not happy with us until we become whatever we've created as the perfect Christian in our mind. We think that he's not pleased because of the areas in our life that that are still immature. Immaturity is not a bad thing. The Bible would say, the Bible would say, you will know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. And we would take that in a, before I would take that as to say, you know, that's how you know somebody's really saved. If their outward life does not express fruits of the spirit, which was really, you know, doing our religious rules, then they're not, they're not saved. If, if there's not an outward expression of transformation, then there, there, there's no inward transformation. We would say you would know them by their fruit. So an, an orange tree does not produce apples. So if somebody says they're an apple tree, but they're producing oranges, something's wrong. Like somebody who says they're saved, but lives in habitual sin, something's wrong. I believe that, I believe that. We would say stuff like coin phrases, you know, no root, no fruit. If there's no fruit, there's just no root. Person never got born again. If there's no fruit, there's no root. I believe that as well. But if there is a root, if there is a root, that's justification enough. Even though there may not be fruit yet. Just because there's not fruit right now doesn't mean there is not a root. And as long as there is a root, even if it takes some time to produce fruit, it's okay. It doesn't speak against the the legitimacy of the root. Even if it's a seed, it's still real. Even if it's just a small little, little, little seed, there's still a tree inside of that seed. And as long as long as the seed is authentic, though it may be just a seed, it's still real and carries with it the, the, the fullness of all that it is intended to produce. But what we do, if something is not in full maturity, we discard it. So when God whispers to you, you are beloved, but everything around you says you're not. You've got a seed. And all you need to do is allow the seed to be a seed. Just allow the seed to do what a seed's going to do and break and be buried and take root. The root is the announcement that fruit's coming. It doesn't matter how long it takes. The root's real. The root's real. You got to... Prophecy over, over whatever, over, over finances, over a new job, over children, over marriage, over works, over, over, over what, whatever, over your household, whatever. And it just feels like it has not come to pass just yet. And actually what it feels like is the complete opposite have come, which is what a lot of times will happen. Because again, and I'm, I don't talk a lot about the enemy, but there's times where we need to know what's going on and not be ignorant of what the Bible says of what he does. There's times where he, he knows crap, that seed's there. 
And within that seed carries the, the, the fullness of all that, that, that needs to, to be there for that seed to produce. So what I need to do is try to get them to forget about that. I, I need them to try to talk them out of it. I, I need them to move away from that as much as possible. So what happens a lot of time, that's why I don't release a lot of, a lot of prophecy, a whole, whole bunch is, is because I know that, that I need to be able to be with this individual as well to walk them through this word because when the word's given, the enemy's going to come a lot of times and try to, try to do the complete opposite of what the word is. But if there's a root, that's all that, there may not be, whatever you're believing, whatever, whatever dreams, promises of God, whatever you have, that you know you knew was from him, but circumstantially, it's nothing's there, and you're trying to talk yourself out of it. Understand, rest in the root. Rest in the root, because the heir is master over all. Though he is, though he's not, doesn't look any different than a slave in his immaturity. Let the seed mature. I heard people talk seed time harvest, seed time harvest, seed time harvest, seed time harvest. Yeah, let's slow it down. Seed. Time, harvest. The day you plant is not the day you reap. The day you plant is not the day you reap. And, and if you're, and you've got to be okay with that to let the root go deep enough. What's in between there is the time. And that's the process of maturity. That's the place of maturity. I'm gonna run through this real quick. I'm not, again, I'm not talking about licensing lawlessness or licensing sin. I ain't talking about that at all. Not at all. What I am talking about is giving people grace to grow. And I'll be honest, it's taken me a long time. And my spiritual father tried to drill me in, drill that into me. To give people grace to grow. And for a long time, I didn't. Because, I mean, you know, we got to do it all right now. If we think Jesus is coming back tomorrow, then then it's not enough. Then we're all just going to be sitting about to be snatched out and then stand before a big angry God to have a checklist of all that we did and didn't do. We need to be busting our butts now, and you better be in full maturity. There is no time to grow at that point. But I remember my, my spiritual father drilled into me of giving people grace to grow. I remember a man who got saved at, at the, the Baptist church I was out of. A man got saved. And he was an older man, late 50s, early 60s, not too older. But he had never hit, I was saved straight off a of barstool, which, is, which honestly, that's how I like him. I'd much rather have People save straight off a bar stool than people with a whole bunch of church background because, my God, do we have to do a lot of them <laughs> But this man didn't know, didn't know nothing. Just knew he's, he's born again. Knew that Jesus loved him. Got born again, radically saved. It was amazing. And I remember we were sitting there one day, and he had, he, before he got saved, had, 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 a, had a drinking problem. He didn't think so. He said, I have a, so there's no problem to it. But he, we were talking one day, and he had just been saved for maybe a couple weeks, less than a month. And he said, he said, we were sitting there, me and my, my spiritual father, he said, 
I was talking, he said, Preacher Bobby, said, let me tell you something. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm kind of, kind of proud of myself. This is the man on the backwoods of Monroe. And we're, so me and Preacher Bobby said, well, 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 what is it? The case of beer in my refrigerator lasted me a whole week. And I looked, I said, what? <laughs> and Preacher Bobby just sat there and smiled. And he said, before, Brother Bobby, before I got saved, I'd, I'd, I'd drink a 24-pack in two days. He said, but this one's lasted me all week. And I'll never forget, Preacher Bobby sat there and encouraged the crap out of him. Applauded him, everything. And my young <laughs> religious self, my mouth dropped, and I'm th- I need to rebuke him. Like, he need, no. Did he even get saved? And we left there, and I was talking to Preacher. I said, my God, what? And, I, and I'll never forget Preacher. I just begin to, he said, brother, you, you got to let people grow. Said, no. They should have grown when they got saved. And, and it took me a while to, to, to allow, I, I'll never forget that same man stood up on a Sunday morning. It was one thing to have a conversation with just me and Preacher Robin him. Stood up on a Sunday morning. Testify. That, that's back in the day, you know, when, well, after the singing, before the preaching, you'd have people just randomly stand up and testify. I just want to brag the Lord, thank God for saving me 34 years ago. All this stuff. Which I'm all for that. I love that. He stood up to testify. He didn't know it was testifying. He called it talking. He stood up and he said, he said, Preacher Bobby, I just want to thank the Lord for saving me a few weeks back. He said, and I, and I just got to thank him. I'm going to let you know. And he said, my neighbor, which neighbor is not like these neighbors. Neighbors is like half a mile. He said, my neighbor killed my cat. And I mean, we're packed out Sunday morning, baby. He said, my neighbor killed my cat. Preacher Bobby said, oh, okay. And he said, I love that cat, Preacher Bobby. He said, yes, sir. And I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly <laughs> how it was. And he said, my wife tried to talk me out of it, but I said, no, ma'am. He said, I loaded up my pistol, and I got to walking down that driveway. He said, and I was loading my revolver up. He said, man, kid, my cat on purpose. He said, he's going to meet Jesus. I fully decided. And he was not joking. Like he was literally going to kill me. He said, I was walking down there. He said, right when I got about close to his house, he said, and I, and I had already planned it. I had already, this is in front of the whole church. Shut up. <laughs> Com- confessing pre, almost premeditated murder. <laughs> and people, you should have seen some of them all women. And he said, it wouldn't matter because it ain't even registered to me. But I had already planned what we were going to do. I mean, the whole night. He was, he was fully transparent. Bless everything. He said, the Lord spoke to me. Said, now, Brother Rusty, that was his name, I forgave you. Now you forgive him. He said, I didn't want to. I kept walking a little ways. I'll be honest with you, Brother Bobby. He said, I kept walking. He said, I told the Lord Jesus, we'll talk about it when I get back to the house. Because I love this cat. And he said, but I didn't. He said, I turned around and I went home. He said, and I laid my gun on my pistol. He said, my wife didn't say a word. She thought it was done. He said, but I told her. I didn't kill him. I forgave him like Jesus forgave me. And he said, now I don't know how tomorrow I'm going to feel. <laughs> I said, glory to God. But just, just, just that. 
to a lot of people is not a big deal. But that's the heir who is coming out of Venus Lake. Before, if that man hadn't got saved, he would have committed murder over somebody running over his cat. Little stuff like that's a big deal. It's immature, but it's real. The Lord's speaking to you when you're driving in your car through a worship song in the middle between work and lunch and all of that, and you feel like your life's in chaos and everything. That, that, that moment where he seems to be right there and speaks to you and tears are falling from your eyes as you're driving is a big deal. That's just as big of a deal as being at a huge conference and being down at the altar and having the main big time preacher laying hands on you. That's just, about, just as a big of a deal. The little steps are huge because it's on the path. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. So we've talked about the identity of the heir, even in immaturity. And maturity coming to the individual that is pierced with the revelation of righteousness that produces internal wholeness. However, there's others here in Galatians 4 that Paul mentions that play a huge role in bringing others into the reality of wholeness and its guardians and stewards of the home. So we talked about wholeness. Now I want to talk about home, and we're not going to spend much time talking about home because I know it's I know it's getting late. If you need to leave, you can. We've got food after, but if you need to leave, you can. We're not going to take too much time on this, but it needs to be said. So again, Galatians 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So the heir is purposely placed under the authority of the guardians and stewards in a place called home. Basic definition, basic Greek definition of guardians here means protector, one who guides, a teacher, one who is appointed in authority over the heir. Greek word for steward means one who manages a household. The master of the house. Steward of an estate. Fun fact about the word, the Greek word steward. It was generally, in that context, in, in the definition that it, that it uses, that specific identity of a steward, of, oh, 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 over an heir of an estate was one in that day who was a freedman, which was meaning not just somebody who was born free, but a but a freed man. So one who was at one time a slave that was released from force, forced legal servitude. So the steward here is also one who knows what it's like to live under a law, to serve forcefully, to be made as a slave, but has been liberated and is now over an heir to teach him how to live. Lock in with me here. We're almost done. Do not zone out right now. 
This Greek word for steward also is defined by basic definition as the apostles and other Christian teachers, bishops, and overseers. That is, that is straight from Greek lexicon. This is where spiritual fathers come in. They are placed over you and you under them for them to guard and steward you, to remind and raise you as you are, to be a witness of a freed man to the heir, to teach them how to live based off of who they are. See, even, even in biblical, and I, oh, I can feel it tighten up a little bit in here on that one. Even in biblical times, even in biblical times, it was, it was the, the, the father that named the child. The mother didn't get to name the child. The father had a pronounce. This is why even my John the Baptist's father, his, his, his mouth, an angel shows up and, and seals his mouth off. And what he has to do is write down the name John so they can name John the Baptist. Fathers bring identity. Whether people like this or not, this is how it is. Fathers bring identity. They, they, and spiritual fathers enforce the identity that God has given you. Spiritual fathers will look at the heirs in immaturity and teach him or her who they are and will stay committed to guarding and stewarding the immature heir. These help raise the heirs out of inferior identity or false identity or no identity into true identity that they have been recreated into in Christ. Remember the root word definition of what we talked about earlier of heir is relic. And what is a relic again by definition? Something or someone that remained. All the heir needs to do is remain. To be positioned and matured to receive the full inheritance. All they have to do is remain. What you need to do, I'm going to be very straightforward in this. For everybody in this room and even those listening. You need to find home. You need to find home. You need to find home. Find home. Even if that's not here, you need to go find where home is for you. True home is a place where the orphan spirit cannot survive. Part of the path of finding out who we are, which is beloved, is then also finding out where we belong. And that place where we belong is called home to us. Seated and secured under the authority of spiritual fathers that God has established over his houses. 